Well, this is going to be an interesting conversation because uh, we're going to talk to the director of research at the Show Me Institute, and I am the director of education policy at the Show Me Institute. So just a little uh, inside conversation here about, you know, we both do lots of interesting work in and out of the Show Me Institute. And James, you've got a really fascinating paper um, that I've read on sort of like the role of uh, I would say to me, sort of like the role of schools in society and sort of the the uh, the place, like the, the role of letting parents choose or be assigned to schools in fitting what we all agree or don't agree is the role of schools. So uh, welcome to the podcast. And I want to just start off by saying or asking you, in all of your experience in education policy and in researching for this paper, do you think that we have an agreed upon role for schooling in this country? <laughs> no, I mean, and, and thanks for the yeah. welcome. You know, I've uh, yeah. been on Show Me Institute podcast, but this, I think this is the first time you and I have ever got to sit down together, just the two of us probably, yeah. talking about one of our research papers. So this is a Good question you're asking. Do we agree? No, we do not agree. I'm actually teaching an EDD class right now on citizenship and civility. And the first night we just looked at polls, just different polls and what people think about education, the purpose of education. And then I did polls with the students in class. And no, we do not agree on what the purposes of education are at all. There, There's some people who believe that academics is the primary purpose. There are another people or another group of people who believe job preparation is a primary purpose. And there's a portion of people who believe character, virtue, values, what religion, whatever that group of stuff you call, that that's the primary purpose of education. And so even within those groups, though, you probably don't have disagreement or I mean, you probably don't have agreement on the exact thing within those groups. That's the the most important within that. So there's a lot of disagreement out there. Yeah, we're going to kind of set aside the academic part right now for this conversation and talk about like where those other sort of looser things like um, values and civic virtues and those types of things fit. But even in academics, I'll just say, if you think about the debacle that was the common core and folks saying, well, like, how can we all agree in this country, in this greatly dispersed, decentralized country on what every third grader should learn about history, we couldn't get there. So <laughs> even on the academic side, which is the most straightforward, learn to read and do math, there is uh, not a widespread agreement. So you get into these sort of softer areas like, you know, and I think in the last few years, we've seen big debates on should schools be teaching values? If so, whose values? Should they be teaching you know, we get around, uh, as you know, like the hot button issues of gender identity and, and the schools are like, this is our responsibility to teach these values to these kids, regardless of their parents' values. I don't clearly that's not that's not an agreed upon widely agreed upon by parents, would you say? Right. That's not agreed upon at all. And so the way that I got into sort of writing about yeah. values and these sorts of things you know, I'm a professor at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. I'm uh, affiliated with our Center for Character and Citizenship, and I've been working with the colleagues, my colleagues Marvin Berkowitz, Mindy Beer, who are well known in the character education world. I've been working with them for several years in our Ed Leadership programs. And this fall, we're launching an EDD cohort, which I mentioned the class I'm teaching, which is focused on character and citizenship citizenship education. And I've been wanting to write more about this area. You know 
historically, I've written a lot about pensions and school finance, wonderful topics, but uh, I found a growing passion for this area around character and wanting to write more about it. But, you know, I'm a policy guy. From My background is policy. And so I was looking for a way in to start writing about this character education piece. And so I bridged the two worlds. And so the paper, which I presented this summer at the European Character and Virtue Association's first annual conference, I'm going to be presenting again at a small conference at the University of Alabama later this month, is really asking the question of what system, what type of system is best best aligned to create schools that do care about character and, and values and virtue, whatever you want to call it. What's the type of system that's best aligned to that? Because what did you find? Well, what I suggest in the paper is that a choice-based system, and I think people got to separate their own preconceived ideas and conceptions about public education, because people look at this paper and they they come in saying, "But this is the way," or "This is they 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 think that I'm speaking specifically about our education system." or speaking specifically about private schools, what I'm trying to do is have people just think sort of theoretically. You know, I sit in my ivory tower. Uh, it's not really an ivory tower. It's actually a pretty crappy office building. But nevertheless, <laughs> uh, I sit in my, my, and I think about this. What type of system would be best? A system where we assign people to schools based on where they live, residential assignment, or a system where we allow people to choose the school that they want to go to. Which school is most likely to to have a focus on character. And what I worked through in this paper is that the system I think that's best aligned to that is a choice-based system because the very things that you led us into talking about, the disagreements, those are the things that are, are, are really frustrating and troubling in a residentially assigned system because we don't have agreement. So the, the organizing principle of the school in a residentially assigned system is boundaries. It's some sort of geographic boundary. That's the organizing pr principle. It, and it might be the name on the building, uh, although some schools have names like PS134, which doesn't, you know, <laughs> bind people together very much. But, you know, in a, in a rural community, it might be, you know, the name of the town is the name of the school. That's the name of our sports team. Like there could be some sort of binding principle there, but it's really about location. When you have a choice-based system, the binding principle, the organizing principle that brings people to the school is whatever that school's about. And it could be academics, but it could also be something related to their values. And what I tend to see is when we have this choice-based schools, they're much more confident about promoting values. They're also much more confident about their teachers uh, teaching those values because they've stated up front that those are their values. And parents then select those schools for those values. They choose a school that's aligned with their values. And so you have this sort of alignment between the parents and the teachers and the school where everyone's on the same page because we've stated up front what it is we believe, what it is we're teaching, and you can select into it. But in that you know, residential-based system, you've got to navigate these things. And it doesn't mean that those schools can't have some values. They certainly do. But especially when you have a large district, you oftentimes have principles that are almost interchangeable within school yep. districts. You have uh, different types of people that live within this boundary of different beliefs, you know, religious beliefs, political beliefs, uh, all sorts of dispositions. And so what you have to do 
in that type of system, the residential system, is spend a lot of your time building consensus. And, and that's a lot of time and effort. And you then still have teachers who are hesitant to do things because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble with the administration. They're, they're afraid they're going to get in trouble with the parents. And so you have a system where it's very difficult to focus on character or values uh, compared to a system based on choice. And I think when you look at it that way, just sort of theoretically, it becomes very clear. Well, if we all just choose schools for our children that align with our values and the teachers have the same values, won't we just turn into little tiny tribes and we'll just, our kids will never be exposed to other ways of thinking? Or isn't that kind of that melting pot? And I'm just playing the devil's advocate here because the the public school system writ large, you know, unions, whoever speaks for them, they take their role so seriously as the big melting pot, as creating civil society. Um, and uh, test scores on history, civics and government would suggest that they're doing a terrible job. But regardless of that, you know, this idea that if we all just get to pick and send our kids to schools that completely align with our values, how will they ever learn somebody else's point of view? We have to look at what our traditional public education system, the, the sort of purpose of it. Historically, the purpose of our public education system was essentially nation building. It was, it was to promote a specific set of values. What ends up happening in those cultures, in, in a residentially assigned system, is whoever's the dominant group, their values are what gets taught. So it's not like, it's not like we create a system where it's... Uh, a, a thousand flowers bloom. Everyone's one, welcome and wonderful and all things are, are cherished equally. No, there is a set of values that is built into those systems, that, that, but it ends up being the dominant culture's values. It used to be, many, many moons ago, the Protestant dominated the public education sphere. That's changed over time. You might debate, and it might be different based on locality, who dominates now. In some places, it might still be Protestants, but uh, it could also be the teachers' unions or or whatever. So we got to understand that that sort of thing happens. The other thing is, I heard someone recently say this, uh, uh, an educator recently say, we, we have to, in, in our schools, we can't just have uh, tolerance. We can't just tolerate people with other views. We have to accept people with other views. And I thought, mm, I don't agree with that. Uh, because if I accept it, that, doesn't, that means I don't disagree with it. If I just sort of accept that everything's like, if I have a belief system, whether it's religious or whatever it is, and I believe it to be true, I, I can't just accept every other system as true because sometimes things contradict one another, right? Let's take this outside of the world of like religion. Let's say I believe we should show respect for elders, okay? We should call people Mr. and Mrs. and Doctor and those sorts of things, treat them respectfully and formally. Uh, I believe that we should have uh, you know, a dress code at school where students dress uh, respectfully, they wear a uniform or whatever it is, right? A more what people might call an authoritarian structure or author you know. And then let's say you believe that no, we need to not, we don't need any of those sorts of hierarchies. We could call teachers by their first names. Um, these are fundamental disagreements. 
And we can't, within the same school system, in the same school, both get what we want, right? Either we're calling people by their first names or we're calling them by their last names or, or it's some sort of weird mixture that doesn't really coexist well, right? And that's the point of this is that the school is going to have some sort of values embedded in it, whether they're sort of clearly stated or they're sort of under the current uh, implied. But the question is whether or not we can intentionally focus on things like, uh, like character and we can teach those things in our schools and have an alignment between the students and the teachers. Now, I think I danced around your question of will this create little uh, you know, pockets. I, I think that's just not the case when you look at things throughout our history. We have had private school students throughout our nation's history and they seem to do very well in society, right? Like they get along yeah. fine. Uh, most of the problems that we see with extremism don't come from people from, uh, you know, the public education system. And, and I mean, it's, of course, you have extremes in the public education system. I mean, sorry, I, I misstated that. The, the extremist isn't necessarily driven by private education, right? We right. see extremism in the public sphere, in the private sphere. We see extremism, but it's not driven by private schools. Is that That's the point I'm making. So yeah. uh, I think that this idea or argument is just sort of like a red herring. It, it's not what we see. Yeah, we did a podcast or I did a podcast recently with Ashley Burner. And of course, this is her her yeah. whole thing. Yeah. We can be pluralist. We can have a pluralist system of schools as long as we have the same sort of goals of what every child should know when they leave the system, how they get there. You know, it, it shouldn't we, we get very caught up on how they get there. And uh, it's perfectly it, in her case, the ideal to have a pluralist system. And I do think that, you know, some of the fundamental work of sociologist James Coleman was around this idea of social capital and private schools tend to outperform test score wise. Uh, traditional public schools because they have more social capital because parents are invested and the bonds are stronger which creates more trust and what i see happening right now with residential assignment to schools where maybe the parents values and the school's values are mismatched is we've lost a lot of parent trust in the system because oh, yeah. i think parents are afraid that their kids are going to school being taught by people who don't agree with their values and therefore somehow you know um like undermining the parents and unfortunately there's tiktok videos of teachers just like Haha, i'm undermining you know what i mean right. so that's not very widespread i'm sure but a lot of parents probably fear that and that is i think a sad like consequence of residential assignment is you just lose the opportunity to easily create trust in the system by letting parents choose yeah and trust is huge Trust is huge. And you're, you're absolutely right. So if I don't have trust in my teachers, my kid's teacher, I view the things that they do with suspicion. I, I think of myself as a, uh, my role is checking on them or, or making sure that they're not doing anything that I don't want them to do, rather than coming alongside them and working with them, right? If I have an implicit trust in my kid's teacher and they tell my kid to do something, you know, some sort of work or whatever, I'm going to support the teacher and say, hey, you need to listen to Mrs. So-and-so uh, because I know that she's doing the things that I expect and want and hope for her to do with my kids. Like we have an alignment when we're not aligned. I'm a police or I'm a guard or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of double checking everything. And so this trust is huge. You've got to be able to trust your educators and not look at them with suspicion. And, you know, 
I work with a lot of public school educators and they say they get sort of annoyed at this. Oh, most teachers are doing great things like, yeah, they are. Most yeah. public school teachers are wonderful people who are really doing their best to teach kids. But you've seen the, you've seen the TikTok videos, right? You've seen the, the posts online. There are also some cuckoo birds out there uh, doing some weird stuff with kids mm -hmm. that creates the suspicion and this doubt and all these sorts of things. And when things aren't transparent, when things aren't clearly stated like they would in a choice-based system, the parents are left wondering and they don't know and they're suspicious, right? It, it, so it undermines that trust by just residentially assigning everyone together, whereas you, you inherently build trust by allowing people to choose. Yeah, and to be clear, uh, going back to your last point, there are schools where kids call the teachers by their first name and... Mm -hmm. There's unstructured and kids choose what they do all day. You know what I mean? There are parents who love that and choose it. That's right. great. And there are certainly the college prep STEM, the basis uh, schools where they're pretty intense and, and everything in between. And there are absolutely schools that focus on DEI. I've been to charter schools, focus on DEI, Afrocentric culture, uh, Hispanic culture, um, native language cultures in Alaska. I mean, there are very community values based charter schools, schools of choice that really pull in parents that this is the one thing they want for their child. And so it isn't the case that we're just going to, I think, maybe I'm making this up, the fear that there'll just be these like wealthy white pockets of, you know, if you let people choose, it's just going to carve out all these high, high performing wealthy white people to insulate themselves against students of color and low income students. That hasn't been the case in schools of choice like charter schools that has not really played out right choice choice allows for all these different options to to exist it allows for people to choose and of course the the denser the population people are going to have more choice in those areas um, but also when you have fewer people you tend to have uh, fewer differences among people right in, in more rural communities you're going to have fewer school choice options than you are in in a large metropolitan area but those those options are going to be more in line with the folks in that community, right? And so you need fewer options. So the the interesting thing to me is I started going through this process is is I, I looked at a framework from one of my colleagues, Marvin Berkowitz, who's, who's an endowed professor in character education, and he sort of outlined these principles of what a healthy learning community is. Uh, and I, I wish I had them exactly in front of me. My, but I do. Oh, you've got them? them. The, yes. There were two of them that I that I pulled out in the paper. Um, do you, could you read them off real quick? Number one, a group of people. Two, with a shared commitment. Three, and a shared identity. Four, and a shared set of pro-social ethical norms. These are seeming like very heavy lifts here. Five, resulting in an emotional bond to the community and its members. And six, that all lead to serving, supporting, and protecting the community and its members. Right, so this is, this is what Marvin describes as a, as a healthy learning community. We'll skip past the first one, a group of people. I don't know any schools yeah. that aren't a group of people, but with a shared commitment, uh, you, you are much more likely to get a shared commitment when people choose to select into it. A shared identity, again, you might have an identity based around a school football team or, or a, a town name in a residential uh, school system, but in a choice-based system, you get identity based on the ethos of the school, based on the character of the school, right? A shared set of pro-social ethical norms. He's just saying you need to have 
some sort of value system that promotes um, you know, positive interactions and these sorts of things. And you're more likely to have that when people select into it. What I love about Marvin is Marvin's a character education guy and he is a lefty. I'm, I'm very pro character education and I'm a righty, right? Like if we, <laughs> we agree on these things. Um, yeah. He approaches it with a different viewpoint, but we end up oftentimes in very similar places, right? Um, so the, this list of things, when he describes this healthy learning community, when you have a choice-based system, you already have a leg up on, on the residential type of system. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it automatically builds in trust in all of those things and creates healthier learning communities. And that's what we want. We don't want schools where, where there are you know, these fights at board meetings and these sorts of things. And that doesn't mean that all of that's necessarily bad. Like there should be some in our public spheres, there should be some give and take and sh- some debate and these sorts of things. But schooling shouldn't just be about fighting, right? right? Like there are some things that at the end of the day, hopefully we can agree upon and we're much likely, much more likely to get the schools that we want, each of us, when we have a system built around choice rather than a system built around residential assignment. And one thing I think you point out that's really important and I hadn't thought about it before, I have thought about the fact that we do this residential assignment and then we expect each school building to somehow have the resources to serve every type of child who shows up regardless of their, you know, uh, if regardless of their needs, I'll just leave it at that. I mean, every one school building somehow is going to have what every child needs. And then a teacher has, say, 20 kids in their classroom, and they'll be able to teach the full spectrum of what every child shows up with. And both of those sound unreasonable to me. But I hadn't thought about the fact that principals then have this kind of burden to reverse engineer culture. Like there is no shared culture. So let's create one by calling ourselves the Falcons and everyone and I'll wear red and blue every day that I show up as principal, remind everybody I'm a Falcon. And then there's a lot of the we're a family. I definitely saw that in my kids' public schools. We're not a school. We're a family. I put the pal and principal. So they're supposed to sort of create this out of disconnected pieces rather than let it be organically just developed by having people opt into the schools that they want. Yeah. And that that creating of culture or creating of the the sort of who we are as a school, it's interesting because in, in a residential based system, again, you have to have someone sort of leading that and 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 as you're saying, sort of reiterating it, pounding, beating the drum, whatever it is, and trying to build it. And then if that person leaves, so goes the culture, right? I mean, it, yeah. someone else might come in who believes the same things, but the the sort of institutional culture depends on the people that are there. Whereas in a choice-based system, again, you have to work on on really having a healthy school culture. But the values can be written, right? The values can be stated and, and they, they can be consistent over time and not necessarily dependent on the person who's leading the charge, leading the change. And again, this isn't to say that in either sort of system, the work of the school leader isn't important. In all systems, the work of the school leader is important. You want to you wanna create a healthy school culture in both environments. You could have a school that says our values are um, you know, justice and fortitude and uh, temperance and 
all, all these sorts of things. I'm thinking <laughs> of the, my kids' school, by the way. Uh, they could say those things on paper, and the place could be a toxic environment, right? It could still yeah. be a terrible place to work, a terrible place to go to school, even though they say they they sure. you know aligned all these values. So you still have to work on those things. But the point being. When a place is built around those values, you're much more likely to get that shared culture than you are in a place that's built around sort of the town's name or the. <laughs> and the culture could be diversity, equity, inclusion, open-minded. I mean, it could right. be those same things. Um, so then, how do you, James, connect this, or can you, back to state of Missouri, trying to set statewide? curriculum standards or learning standards around social emotional learning because mm. i think about that and it's like okay we all acknowledge the value of culture what it can do in terms of social capital and community and building a shared identity can you do that with the state then uh drafting and i guess disseminating social emotional learning whatever that is i mean you know however you define that uh, standards can, is that, that to me that is uh, very much an oxymoron because that should happen at the lo most most local level, like even within a family. Right. What I see Desi's standards that they put out, you know, they're they're requesting comment right now. I took a look at them. The words that they have, the sort of values, are generally things you might agree with. But I have instant suspicion when I see stuff like this coming from Desi. I guess it goes back to the sort of trust thing we've been talking about. Yeah. My initial question is, what gives them the right? Do they have some sort of statute? Is there some sort of language that actually gives them the authority to create these things? So I have that first question. The second piece I start wondering about is, uh, will they be as successful at these as they are at reading? So maybe 30% of our kids are actually going to you know, be good citizens or whatever it is. Uh, I mean, so I start wondering about the implementation. Then I start wondering, we're well, going to put standards. How are you planning to evaluate it? Do I want to see Desi develop an evaluation system around my kid's character? I, and so I start going down this path of all those sorts of questions of where, you know, why should Desi be doing this in the first place? So when I look at their feedback sheet, it says, you know, basically it's like, give us feedback on each of these items. And I want to ask the higher level questions of like, should we be doing this? And I'm not yeah. convinced we should, because as you're saying, we don't have necessarily a, a, an agreement at the state level on all these things. Even on some things you like, a, uh, you and I might agree that a person should have um, what's like a good work ethic and, and believe that they can do things like that. They can change their circumstances, right? By hard work, sort of this, this grit sort of mindset. Yeah. But there would be other people who would say, oh, I'm I'm worried that you're not acknowledging the challenges and the, and the, the circumstances of that individual because you're saying, you know, you need to pull yourself up by their bootstraps, but they don't even have boots on. You know, like, yeah. and so yeah. you can see even on something that you and I might think is a shared value, there's there's nuance and there's disagreement. And so I do worry about this push from Desi. I'm going to look closer into it. Uh, but again, I think. I think we should be asking the question of should Desi be doing these things, not giving specific feedback on the actual standards that yeah. they wrote. It's like they're acknowledging the importance of, uh, you know, schools taking on the character of children and their values. And then they're just going at it like the, in the craziest way, top down to 850,000 kids. And they will all have this you know, set of shared 
social emotional learning, you know, work hard. Yeah, that's fine. But it, it doesn't work for I don't know. I just think it is. Uh, and it's I mean, I can't help but think that it costs money. It takes people. They're going to print these things. They're going to send them out. They're going to, I don't know, they're going to evaluate them. And then every district, I assume, will be like, okay, well, here's the 10 things we now have to do in third grade because of the SEL standards. Everyone has to learn, you know, something. And so um, I just, I think it's the much easier approach is what you suggest in your paper, which is opening up the uh, public education system to be one of choice. Mm. So that is kind of my final question. Like, where do we go with this? I mean, yeah. I I 150% believe that you're absolutely correct and that your paper points out a lot of great stuff. And it's, and it's um, I've just been thinking it for a long time that this is a kind of an easy lift to get social capital and trust and everything into the system that we know improves outcomes. Just let parents pick where their child's child goes to school. But where do you see like the the research that you've done? How do you see it? Um, what, like what are the policy implications? Yeah. I, I When you were talking a moment ago, I was thinking, I don't know if the word is hubris or if it's something <laughs> else, but you know, the impetus for DESE stepping in to write those standards was teachers are complaining that they're of what's going on post, um, post the pandemic, right? Students don't have the sort of character and values that they need to have. There are these problems. And so do we really think that writing standards on a paper is the solution, right? Like that, that writing down standards and now all of a sudden the schools are going to teach these things when they weren't before. Like, no, teachers are working on this stuff all the time. And so I think the, as you know, we've been discussing this whole time, a better solution is to create the type of system that allows this type of education to flourish. The type of system that allows values and character to flourish is a system based around choice. So give parents more of those options and I think we'll see better character education. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if people want to find your paper, where can they find it? Nowhere yet. Forthcoming. Nowhere yet. You're let us, they can go to Tuscaloosa, catch a football game and you'll be presenting. That's right. No, that's great. All right. Thanks so much, James. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.